and Samson. And in these stories, it's absolutely incredible. Like when you read the scriptures, you see God radically intervenes in people's lives. But typically the people that he intervenes in their lives, they have to wait for that intervention. There's like a period that has to go by, and I think that's, that's very relatable because oftentimes uh, when we come up to a retreat like this, we hope God would give an answer to that question, and we leave and we don't have that answer. Or maybe we have a partial answer. Uh, maybe you've come up to this retreat and you hope God would bring clarity to a circumstance in your life, and you're actually leaving the retreat maybe even more confused than when you came because you're not sure what God said to you, how that actually is going to play out at home. Some of you have come out to this retreat and you've been praying that God would heal you from a sickness, whether it be mental, physical, or emotional. And like you've been praying, like, Lord, I pray that this would be the retreat that you heal me. And you're going to leave going, I kind of feel healed, but I also kind of don't. There's a waiting there. Some of you have come to this retreat and we've been talking about deliverance and we've seen how God has like consistently delivered his people from things. And you, would, and you hoped that God would deliver you from a challenge at this retreat and that challenge actually seems bigger now that you're going home. Um, and then maybe even more importantly, there's just an answer that you're looking for. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a prayer and you were hoping, you were hoping that God would speak specifically to you in that and God maybe did not answer that prayer, or he didn't answer it in the way that you thought he would. Can anybody relate to that? Here's the reality. We are all going back down the mountain waiting on something. Every single person in this room has something in their life, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a struggle, whether it be a question where you're saying, God, I am still waiting on you. And here's one of the things, I was talking with uh, Matthew Lambert, I think this, it was this last week, and I sat down with him, and I was just kind of processing my week, and I was like, dude, waiting is one of the most maddening experiences I have ever sat through. Do you guys know that to be true? Like, I, he took, he's like, I know, dude. He's like, I am horrible in God's waiting room. Like, I sit there, I'm so full of anxiety, but it just feels obnoxious having to wait, doesn't it? You don't even have to be a Christian to know that waiting can suck sometimes. Like, you're sitting there, and you're like, this just feels obnoxious. Like, think about the, like the anxiety it can create in your body when you're waiting on something. I was praying with many of you last night, and many of the themes that kind of, like, ran through your prayer request, which kind of confirmed that what I'm about to share today uh, is of the Lord, is, like, you're going back down the mountain, and you're waiting. You're waiting on something. I remember, um, uh, to kind of illustrate the point, when uh, my, I found out my wife was pregnant— it was incredible, and then you know, we kind of have ultrasounds along the way, and I remember, I don't remember what ultrasound it was, but one of the, maybe it was like the second one in, they, they found a bright spot on my daughter's heart, and literally the doctor was like, oh, this is, um, yeah, so there's a bright spot on the heart that's it's a little concerning. Um, it can mean two things. One, that it's going to completely resolve itself, or they give me some medical term for a stillborn child, and I was like, What? Like, oh, yeah, we're just going to check it out in like a month or so. I was like, a month? And I remember sitting in that season with my wife and like, thank you, Lord, my daughter is healthy and alive today. But I remember in that season, like, I'm just supposed to wait in a month, like for a month, in the complete unknown. And that was challenging. Um, Adele Calhoun says this about waiting. She says this, no matter how disciplined, organized, and prayerful you are, you never outgrow waiting. 
which I love that so much because some of you think if, you, if I just discipline my life more, if I just get more organized, if I just pray more, I won't have to wait. But what this verse, or this isn't a verse, this is a quote, but what this quote is saying is that uh, waiting is not a maturity issue, waiting is actually how you get to maturity. And then she goes on to say, she says, God is a waiter, and I love this, he's patient enough to sustain a deep desire for a long time. And I love this, she says, God values what can happen in the long slow and hard of waiting. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. Uh, we see that God is a waiter. We see, like, I want to go through a couple of characters. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, they have to wait 40 years for their promised child to come. Sarah has to wait 40 years for her barrenness not to be barrenness anymore. Can you imagine that 40 years? Joseph, uh, a familiar uh, person to many of us in the room, he had, think about this, he has to wait 13 years in slavery and in prison before God's prophecy, prophecy to him makes sense. So God speaks to him, he gives him a dream, and then Joseph has to wait 13 years to even see how is that even going to unfold. David, um, who we're going to talk a little bit about today, he has to wait 15 years to become king. God says, I'm promising you the kingdom, and David has to wait 15 years while running from his enemies to actually receive that promise from God. Habakkuk, who never, none of us have ever heard of, but he's in the scriptures, he has to wait for God's rescue. Uh, Israel has to wait for the Messiah. Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, has to wait to see if Joseph will marry her after finding out that she's pregnant. There's a waiting period that she has to sit in. John the Baptist, this is very relatable, he has to wait for Jesus' answer to his doubts in prison. He's in prison and he's doubting. And maybe that's some of you, like you feel like you're in a prison season and you're doubting and you're waiting for Jesus' answer to your doubts. John the Baptist had to experience that. Jesus made him wait. And then ultimately, Jesus tells his followers after his resurrection to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. God values the waiting process. Now, here's why I think it's important that we acknowledge that this is in the scriptures. I think in my life, and maybe you can relate with me, I think oftentimes we think that because we're Christians and because we have a relationship with the living God and because we have access to his power and because we have the privilege to coming into his presence and praying to him that we have an exemption on having to wait. Do you not? Like, it's kind of in you. Like, you feel like, okay, because I'm a Christian, I have an exemption on having to wait and to walk through real pain. And the reason why that mindset is dangerous, because if you let that mindset sit in your heart, and if you water it, and if you let it grow, and if you leave it unchecked, it can breed a doubt and a bitterness towards God, which I believe is the work of Satan in your life. He goes, God's not good. You're still waiting. You shouldn't have to wait. And it can breed this bitterness, and it can, it can lead to this kind of breakdown in your relationship with God. And maybe some of you are here, and that's kind of the season you've been walking through. And here's what the scriptures teach us. We do not have an exemption on having to wait, but it means that our waiting does have an expiration date because we are the people of God. We do not have an exemption on having to wait, but our waiting does have an expiration date if you are a follower of Jesus. So in the following moments, I just simply want to talk about how do we wait? And when God actually says to us, wait, how do we respond? And what does God say about it? Does that sound good? 
Okay, um, I'm actually not going to have you open your Bibles. I just want you to listen this morning. But as I was kind of preparing for this message and I was kind of wrestling with some of my own, like, waiting the things in my life that I'm actually, like, seeking the Lord. I'm like, God, I really need you to speak to this in my life. And I've been sitting in this. And like I said, like, God has been working this message on my heart for a long time now. And actually, it just kind of, like, came to, like, a pinnacle moment, in, like, two weeks ago. And I'll share that in a second. But I was reading through Psalm 2714, which was written by King David. And uh, I don't know when this specific psalm was written. It could have been uh, while he was waiting for, to receive the promise of kingship that God gave him, or it could have been while he uh, was running from his enemies while he was king. Either way, in Psalm 27, 14, David has this prayer, and he's praying to the Lord, and what he's doing in this prayer is he's seeking deliverance from God. And specifically, he's looking for deliverance from his enemies. Now, you may not have enemies that you're seeking deliverance from, but like I said, you all have something that you're seeking deliverance from. And David is in this season where he's, where he's praying with the Lord, and he's like, Lord, I long to be in your presence. Would you deliver me from my enemies? And at the very end of the psalm, this is what David does. He instructs the whole people of God, and he gives his best advice on waiting. And this is David's advice. In Psalm 27, 14, he says this, Wait for the Lord be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, when I read that, I was like, seriously? I was like, David, your best advice to the person waiting is to wait. <laughs> Have you ever had like a friend where you're like, you know, how do you, you know, like, how do you eat healthy? Like, what do you do? And they're like, just eat healthy. <laughs> you know, like, uh, how do I, how do I like, you know, how do, I, how do I exercise? Cody, you're so huge, you know? Like, I see those, those muscles back there. I was like, how do you do it? He's like, I just exercise. You should just exercise. But I, what the, what I, I was reading this, and I was like, David's advice to those waiting on God is to wait on God. Um, and when I heard that, there was two things that happened in my heart. I, I found it extremely frustrating and extremely nourishing, because I don't know about you. Tell me if this is true, but in my life, there has been nothing more frustrating to my heart than to wait on God. At the very same time, there has been nothing more nourishing to my heart than to wait on the living God. Um, I'm going to share a story with you, and I'm just going to be honest. Um, I don't know if I should, but I'm going to. Uh, and I'm going to get really vulnerable with you, and I'm not asking you to like critique what I'm saying, but I just went through experience like two weeks ago where I felt like God was speaking to me, and Connor's going to be shocked that I'm sharing this right now. But I sat with Jade, I'm like, I, should I share this? because I feel like it could offer a lot of criticism. People are going to think I'm weird. But ultimately, I don't really care what you guys think about me, because this is what happened anyway. But I just went through something very like, significant, and it really was wrestling in my heart, and it wasn't sitting well with me. Something that I felt like the Lord was saying to me. So uh, it was probably two Thursdays ago. Um, yeah, I was preparing for this retreat. I was driving back from school early in the morning, and I felt like God was saying, like, hey, I want you to go be with me. I want you to pray. I want you to like, really stop, stop working for this retreat and work for this retreat in prayer. So uh, at the back of the Redemption Gilbert parking lot, there is like a wash. And, um, and on the way back from school, I was like, Lord, where do you want me to pray with you? Should I go off campus? Should I go in the prayer room? Like, where do you want me to go? And God's like, go pray out in like that back wash. And so, okay, I was like, all right, Lord. So I'm literally out there for like uh, an hour and I was just like walking. And there, in this wash, there's like a bunch of bushes and like there's kind of like trails paved through the bushes. And I remember I was walking through these these trails, and I was, like, I was like, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to me, and I'm walking. And then I remember as I was walking through like, this path, I remember going, like, there's thorns on this path. 
And I was like, there's just a lot. I just remember making a mental note. It wasn't huge. It wasn't like, God, what does this mean? I was just like, man, I just noticed there's a bunch of thorns on this path. So I was like, anyways, back to my prayers. And so I, I just continued. I wrapped up my time. I actually went and worked on this message. And then Connor said he wanted to talk to me later that day because uh, wanted we wanted to chat about something. And so he came to me. And he's like, dude, I had the strangest experience yesterday. I was like, yeah, what was it? He's like, I was sitting in my office, and I felt like the Lord said, go outside. So he's like, so I went outside. I was like, okay. And Connor's like, Lord, what do you, why am I outside? He's like, go to the back of the Redemption Gilbert parking lot. And Connor's like, okay. So he walks all the way back to the end of the Redemption Gilbert parking lot. He's like, dude, did you know there's like a wash back there? I was like, yeah, yes. <laughs> And uh, he's like, so I went to the back of the parking lot and I noticed there's this path that leads into the thorns. And I was like, that's interesting. And he's like, what God told me was, somebody's going to walk into the path of thorns. And he goes, and it's not you. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I was walking that path (laughs) four hours ago. My first time ever prayer walking back there, Connor has this experience, and I hear that, I'm like, frick. <laughs> like, honestly, I was like, I was like, what is going on right now? And I've been praying for something, I've been praying for confirmation in my life about something that I feel like the Lord has been unfolding in my life for probably a year now, which is another whole thing on waiting. And I felt like this was the confirmation of that thing. And I felt like what God was saying is, you're going to walk the path of thorns, it's like, what the heck does that even mean? So I'm sitting there with Connor. We're praying through it. And uh, so I was like, it was encouraging and also really discouraging. And I remember that night I went to a small group and I was like, Lord, you have to speak to me tonight. I was like, if this is you, I want you to confirm that it's you. If it's not, I want you to confirm that it's not. And guess what God said? Nothing. So I went to bed. I was like, okay, Lord, give me a dream. Like, do something. Like, I just need you to speak to me. Uh, Friday goes by, nothing happens, and so Saturday uh, comes along, and I'm on this run, and I'm like just on a jog, and at the start of this jog, I literally was like, Lord, there was like, I was trying to be reverent, but have you ever been in these places in your life? I was like, Lord, you have to speak to me by the end of this run. So I'm like running, and I'm like, no like music in, I'm just like praying the whole time. I was like, Lord, like this is like, I, I feel like this is you, I don't know if it's you. If it's you, I want to listen. If it's not you, I want it to be out of my life. And I said, all right, so I, I, was, I was asking for weird things. I'm like, if it's a yes, have this happen on this run. If it's a no, have this happen. And I was running, and I was like, all right, Lord, like I'm wrapping up the run. I got like 100 yards left, I'm like going slower, you know. <laughs> and this is why, and then I go to the end of the run, guess what God says? Nothing. And this is what he says. I get to the end of the run and I go, Lord, I will wait on you and I will trust you. And then he goes, and this is what I feel like God said. He goes, eventually. He goes, I will reveal what this is saying eventually. And so here's what I want to say. There's a couple of things that happen in your waiting. And I feel like this is also the work of the enemy to kind of mess with you. One, waiting doesn't mean you are doing something wrong. In your life, whatever you are waiting on, whatever you are, like, that answer, that thing that you're seeking deliverance from, waiting doesn't necessarily mean you are doing something wrong. Because sometimes what happens in our waiting is we think, I just need to be a better person, and then I'll have to stop waiting. But we've seen in the scriptures that 
oftentimes the people that are waiting are really faithful people. They just have to wait. Waiting doesn't also mean that God hasn't heard you. How often in your waiting do you just start to pray more and you just pray the same thing a thousand times because you go, God must not have heard me. And so you're going like, God, I really need you to speak to this. And God goes, I heard you. I heard you. And he's not saying it in a demeaning sense, but in love, he goes, I know, I've heard you. I also want to say this, it doesn't mean that you're wasting time. Waiting does not mean that you are wasting time. I was thinking about this today. If you are living a life for your own will to be done, there is time that can be wasted. But when the deepest desire of your heart is to go, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, God's will will be done in the time that he thinks best, and you are not wasting your time when you're waiting on the will of God. Waiting is where you learn to be happy in God as you wait for the unfolding of his wise and good plan in your life. I was thinking about this as well. How else are you supposed to learn how to be happy in God, and lo- in God alone unless you have to go through a season where you have to be happy in God alone? Oftentimes, I was thinking about this as well. I'm like, Lord, I want, give me joy in you. And God goes, you don't even know what you're looking for joy in yet. And so what he does is, he sends you through a waiting season. And he goes, in this waiting season, I am teaching you how to be happy in me alone. And once you get through this season, you will have so much joy and be able to walk through anything. And he grows you one waiting season at a time. Waiting is also where you learn to say yes to God in what is. So much of my life is walking with the Lord, saying no to God and what is. I was having a conversation with uh, one of my buddies the other day, and uh, he's in a waiting season. He's going through something really difficult. And I just asked him, what is God saying to you in your waiting? And he goes, am I enough? He goes, I know God has stripped all things back, and he's not giving me all the answers because he wants to know Am I enough? Because if you're like me, oftentimes what happens in your life is what you are waiting on becomes more important than the one you are waiting on. What, it's, it's sneaky. It just sneaks in there. But here's what happens. Waiting isn't just uh, what you have to go through to get what you want. It's what God takes you through, the process that he takes you through to become the person that he wants you to be. And so in this season, we go, okay, Lord, I understand. You haven't given me clarity. I'm seeking you. I'm praying with you. And what God is saying, I'm inviting you to wait with me as the one who will come to you when it is time. Can I just offer this? Some of you are waiting on God, but you haven't learned how to wait with him yet. You're like, God, I really, like, I'm waiting on this thing. I'm waiting on you. And you just picture God way out there. And God goes, here's the beauty. You get to wait on me, and you get to wait with me. That's my invitation and gift to you. Hosea 6.3 says this, In your waiting, and I just want you to receive this, let us acknowledge the Lord. And acknowledge means to know him relationally. It means to obey him and to trust him. So he says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him as surely as the sun rises, how many of you have gotten up without the sun rising? It always rises. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. And I love this. He 
will come. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And so what this verse is saying is like, listen, in your waiting, acknowledge the Lord, love him, trust him, follow him, and God will come. And I just want to say this to some of you in the room, and you're wondering if God will ever come, and I just want to say God promises that he will visit you. And he will visit the situation that you're in. And so I was thinking about this the other day with my dad. When I hear the, when I hear, let me ask you this actually. When you hear God say wait, what tone do you hear it in? Because I think there's two way that you, there's two ways that you can hear God say wait. The first is, uh, I think what Matthew was talking about with like the waiting room was like, hey, just go sit over there and wait. Like just wait. You know, there's like this kind of irritation. You're kind of bothering me. Like just go sit over there and wait. But there's actually something really powerful, I think, in the tone that God tells us to wait. And it reminds me of something that was actually uh, really refreshed with me last night. Um, My dad, I love my dad, and one of the things that he would do, uh, not all the time, but often, but when he really needed to get something across to me in love, I remember this. He would get on his knees to get at eye level with me, and he would say, Corey, and he'd go, look at me. In compassion, he goes, look at me. And he goes, I love you. Trust me. And I just want to say, when God is telling you to wait, he's not just saying, hey, wait. He's saying, hey, look at me. He gets on his knees and he looks at you in the eyes and he goes, I love you. I need you to trust me. And when you hear God say, wait, in that tone, it goes, okay, Lord. I think I can trust you. Isn't that true? All right, so here's one of the beautiful things. God does tell us to wait, but also in the scriptures, God tells us um, what he's saying over us in our waiting. And what we're going to see in Psalm 21, and we're going to wrap it up here, is that God in our waiting says over our waiting that I am watching over you. Psalm 121, it says this. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. That's the idea of comfort. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. That means, it's the whole idea. It's like, this is a 24-7 hour a day watch And then the author goes on to say, the Lord, I love this, will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now, I want to talk to the cynic in the room because some of you go, well, I don't really feel like God is watching over my life. Like this verse says that God will keep you from all harm. There's a lot of harm in my life. I feel like God's distant from me. It has like whatever that tone is, I don't feel like God is speaking to me that way. And I just want to say this, this psalm, it's not promising that you will not experience problems. It, does, it doesn't promise that you won't experience pain. It doesn't promise that you won't experience distress. And the reason I know that is, is because at the start of the psalm, it says, where does my help come from? And so what the author is acknowledging is that you will have problems, you will have pain, and you will have distress in your waiting, and in that, your help comes from the Lord. I think a perfect example of this is the Apostle Paul. 
Uh, he wrote most, most of the New Testament letters. And I love this, when he's describing his ministry, and when he's describing his journey of following Jesus and his ministry as an apostle, he says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. See, what scripture is promising, when it says that God is watching over your life, God is not promising that you will not experience those hard realities. You will be hard-pressed. Some of you feel like in this retreat, I'm in a hard-pressed season. You will be perplexed. How many of you are confused right now? You will be persecuted. I was talking with a gal yesterday that says, I just feel like I am totally pushed out of my community at work. I'm trying to love my coworkers. I'm trying to be Jesus to them, and they just throw me out. Paul says, we feel struck down. But what the scripture is saying is not that you won't experience those realities, but you will not experience the end of those realities. You may be hard-pressed, but you won't ultimately be crushed. You will be confused, but you will never reach ultimate despair. You will be persecuted, but you will never be abandoned by God. You will have seasons where you'll be struck down, but you will not be destroyed if you are in Christ. Eugene Peterson, when he's talking about the psalm, this is a really beautiful quote, so hang with me in there. He says this, The Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life, I love this, is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. We breathe the same air. We drink the same water. We shop in the same stores. We read the same newspapers. Our citizens under the same governments. We pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, unfortunately. Fear the same dangers. Are subject to the same pressures. We get the same distresses. Are buried in the same ground. And I love this. He goes, the difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And I love this. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. Amen? Amen. So here's what I want to say. Some of you are waiting on really hard things in your life right now. And what God promises you through this psalm, and I just want to encourage you to keep it close, is the first thing, he says, I am keeping you. What he's saying is, is not that you want to experience harm, but I am preserving you. I am keeping you close. Jesus says, whoever that the Father has given me, it cannot be snatched out of my hand. God is saying that I am keeping you, and then he's saying, second, I am preserving my purpose for you. I want to say this to you in the room tonight. Some of you are struggling with what God's purpose is for your life. And I just want to tell you, God will preserve his purpose for your life. God has a beautiful, majestic purpose for your life that is bigger than anything that you could ever imagine. And God is saying, I'm going to keep you and I'm going to preserve you and I'm going to preserve your purpose no matter what you go through. And I love this. The psalm says, and I will not slumber in that. I will not sleep. I have a tireless care. We're human. 
I remember the other day I was actually uh, driving behind my daughter. Somebody was driving my daughter. And um, she was in the back right seat. And we're driving into Phoenix. And I just had this gut feeling that something bad was going to happen. It was really weird. And I was, like, really nervous. I was following my family. Well, now you know who it is. Well, here we go. Uh, I was following, I was following uh, <laughs> the people, and uh, there was a red light, and uh, we're in the left-hand turn lane, and then all of a sudden, the, the light turns red, the car in front of me stops with my daughter, and I was like, okay, we're going to stay here, and then all of a sudden, it starts to go, and the whole, I see a whole sea of cars traveling towards the side that my daughter's in, and I, was, I literally, my, I was like, no, 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 I, I was like there with my wife, the car slam on their brakes, and my daughter sneaks through. And I remember coming back to this verse and God says, I am keeping you. I was in that moment and I was powerless to do anything. I could watch over her, but I was powerless to do anything. Let me tell you, you do not have a father who is incapable and and who is not powerful enough to do anything. He is powerful enough to keep you from all harm. He is powerful enough to keep you and he is powerful enough to preserve his purpose for your life. So as we we wrap up, I just want to encourage you with two things. In our waiting, and as you wait on the Lord through whatever season you're going through, what the scriptures say to do is to lift your eyes. The psalm says, lift your eyes. What's very interesting, is says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Did you know that in the hills back in the day, that's where they worshiped idols? And so what I think the psalm is saying is, as you lift your eyes, sometimes we just lift our eyes high enough to our idols. And we look for rescue, We look for them to deliver us from our waiting. And what this verse is saying is you need to look above your idols and you need to look to the one who is seated on the throne. Because your help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And as you look to the one who has made heaven and earth, we place our confidence, our trust, and the whole of our lives into the one who said, our Lord Jesus, I have told you these things. And this is the verse that I just want to sit on before we go. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you that you are the one who has overcome the world. So Jesus, in our trouble... Lord, you told us that we will have trouble, that we will have to wait. But God, our waiting is not wasted in you, and you will keep us. You will protect us. You will preserve your purpose for us. And so, Lord, as we go back down this mountain into our lives, as we go into the unknown, God, I pray that we would trust in you, and I pray that we would have a trust. Lord Jesus, you say that those who trust in you will renew their strength. And so, Jesus, for those in here who need renewed strength, I pray that they would, you would give them the trust they need to trust you. And, Lord, in your timing, we know that you are good, that you are kind, and that you have our best interest in mind. You are conforming us to the image of Jesus. You are leading us by your spirit, and you have given us a kingdom mission. Jesus, you say, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. Jesus, I pray that you empower us to seek first your kingdom, and we will leave the rest up to you. So we worship you. We love you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.